successful media and public affairs consultant, accomplished entrepreneur and national writer and contributor, attorney who served in the Missouri House of Representatives, worked in the White House and CNN, thought leader, entrepreneur, and host who takes the conversation to the next level. Prepare to get rare access to fascinating guests. You're connected. You have the it factor. You've joined Grill Nation. Connect with Jason on Twitter at Jason Grill. Connect with the show on Twitter at Grill Nation Show. And online at GrillNationShow.com. Welcome your host of Grill Nation. Always dressed up and ready to go even in a radio studio. Here's Jason Grill. Hello and welcome to the Grill Nation Show. I'm your host, Jason Grill. Thanks for listening today on 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast. Or I appreciate you joining us on our website at grillnationshow.com. It's great to be back. I'm your host, Jason Grill. I am hoping you're having a good start to the month of May and are excited to join us today. We're going to have an awesome show. Uh, We have a, a guest on today that we have never had on before. And I think she will bring a unique perspective to the table as far as working in the public affairs arena and working in the nonprofit world, as well as what it's like to run for office and get elected. And also some of the things that are going on in our community that are important and and starting your own business. She's going to talk about a lot of different things today uh, on the Grill Nation show. And we're going to be joined by uh, her in just one second. But I also want to tell you to connect with us on social media at Jason Grill on Twitter and at Grill Nation Show. Also, you can search for me on social media as well on all different platforms. Just search for my name, Jason Grill. Uh, and if you have a good guest, please send them to us. Uh, guest or sponsorship opportunity. We always love to hear from our, our great partners and great listeners. Uh, I want to bring on our guest today. Uh, Jessica Embry is the principal at Platform Civic Strategies. She is online at platformcivic.com and on Twitter at Jess B-H-E-M. Uh, Jessica, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for joining us. I know I reached out to you um, earlier this week. I wanted to see, one, how you were doing and have a fun show, and two, I've never had you on before, so I think you have an interesting background and story and work on some really cool stuff. Uh, why don't you take us from the top? Uh, did you grow up in Kansas City? I um, grew up in Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, I'm... Kansas. So you're from the area. Yep. Grew up in Wichita, you Kansas. K-State? I went to K-State. Um, I married my high school sweetheart right after K-State. Uh, we both ended up moving to Washington, D.C. together for a couple of years. He was a teacher. He did Teach for America in Washington, D.C., and I worked for two years for a federal lobbyist who worked on substance abuse issues. So they're called Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America, and that really got me down this path where I focused on um, advocacy and politics, but from the lens of the nonprofit community. So, um, But didn't you, at some point, you went to Princeton in there, right? I did. Um, <laughs> I went to the Woodrow Wilson School of Public Affairs at Princeton. My husband got in simultaneously. So we have an ongoing 15-year-long debate about who got in on whose coattails. Um, and I think we both hey. agree he got in on my coattails. <laughs> so you guys really were connected there. I mean, heck, high school, college, grad school, geez. You guys are really in the same interest, it seems like. We are very, yes, very much so. Um, 
His name's Brett, and people like to call us Gressica in graduate school. We had like a celebrity-style combined name, um, and he works in a relatively similar field to me now. So we've definitely got plenty to talk about over the dinner table and three kids who are very well attuned to politics and nonprofit and philanthropy, and hopefully we'll go into that field someday. What uh, what what uh, what do you think about living and working in Washington D.C.? Oh, um, it was very different from here. I spent we spent two years there, and when we went to Princeton, and it was time to graduate, I remember going into the career services office and telling them I wanted to come to Kansas City. And she looked at me in the eyes and said, "If you want to go to D.C. or New York, I can help you with either of those two things. But if you want to end up in Kansas City, you're going to have to find." your own way back there. Um, which Where did you live when you were in Washington? We lived in Silver Spring. Okay. Um, it was fine. It was a fine place to live, not a place I would want to live forever. Um, I'm always amazed when we go back how many cool things there are that I didn't somehow visit when I lived there. I think when you live somewhere, you sort of take things for granted. But um, Yeah, that's for sure, especially in D.C. with so many... Uh, museums and uh places to go you know and then you know, obviously you don't you have the metro there so you get used to that and, but you're right you're working a lot you're you're not really getting to utilize and see all the different things so you were up there it looks to me according to your linkedin which i have up on my screen as we do this via zoom right around till what 2006 2008 what what, what timeline was that 2006, we started graduate school um, at Princeton, spent two years there. It was amazing. That's another like experience I look back on and realize how incredible it was and how um, easy it was to take it all for granted in its own way. Um, now, I Princeton, for those who don't know, is like 45 minutes from Manhattan in New York City, correct? Via train? It's like right into the city? Yep, you can take a quick train. There's actually a train right from the city, um, from Princeton into New York City. So we got to do that quite a few times. I took a class. Um, my master's degree was in public affairs, and I focused in health and health policy. And I will never forget, I took a class from Uwe Reinhardt, who was like in the health economy world, like a really big deal. Um, and it was co-taught Uwe Reinhardt and Senator Bill Fritz, who had just retired from the Senate. So it was pretty amazing every day to go in and have twice a week Bill Frist at the front of the room. Um, and so yeah, you get, you get a lot of connections when you go to Princeton, I'm sure. Is. And did, did that, you got your master's there in health policy and domestic politics. Do you think that is something that has uh, helped you in your career now? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I really am a my brain goes to a really generalist place where I want to know a lot about all the things and deciding to focus in on health policy in graduate school was one of the best decisions I made because it does give me a whole area that I know quite a bit about and um, it's helped me a lot to like focus in on where I want to spend my career energy and it's really been around largely around health and largely around nonprofits. Yeah. And we met through the Kansas City Business Journal's uh, Next Gen Awards. Is that where we met? I'm trying to remember. Um, oh. You, re you received that honor. Um, what year was that? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's been four or five years probably. 
and so that's how we got connected and we find we found that we had a lot of mutual interests as far as working in uh, public affairs and in uh, you know government affairs and and messaging and connecting people and we'll get into more about what you do but before we get to that I know that um, just looking at your your bio here you 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 came back to Kansas you know after at, well you were in Kansas for a while then you went to Princeton you came back and you started working in nonprofits. Why did you decide to do that? We have about 45 seconds before the break. We'll get into this after the break as well. Um, I've always had a love for nonprofits. I started working in a nonprofit in high school. I really believe that I can make things better and different in the world. And I believe that when people put their time and energy and smarts and talents into making things better, not only can you actually see outcomes, but I, I just feel really good about the work that I do day in and day out, knowing that it serves some bigger purpose out there in the world. Mm -hmm. um, I love, I love feeling like I'm contributing to something like that. Yeah. Well, that's a good, that's a good trait that you have. And I'm glad we have you back in Kansas city. You're listening to the grill nation show here on 9:80 AM. We'll be back after the break with more. Thanks for listening to that. I was young, I knew everything She a punk who rarely ever took advice Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm Jason Grill, your host. I hope you're having a great day. I thank you for listening today on 980 AM, or if you're listening via iTunes, uh, via a podcast, we greatly appreciate it. Or if you're joining us on grillnationshow.com, thanks for listening. Uh, we're having a great show so far. We're joined by Jessica Embry. She's a believer in the power of nonprofits to change policy. She's the owner of Platform Civic Strategies. Their website is platformcivic.com. And she's also on the Shawnee Mission School District uh, School Board, uh, which we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, first off, you told us you're doing the Zoom call in your house, which we're all uh, kind of in the stay at home, but coming out of it, especially in, uh, around this region here in the next few weeks. Uh, you mentioned there's three or four Zoom calls going on in your house right now. Quite the habit in place. Yeah, I'm in my three-year-old son's. A toddler bed. It was the only unused room with a door. <laughs> How are you guys adapting to the, uh, now that we're over a month or two into this, this ordeal? Um, how, how is it having your family there and uh, all everyone in the same place, obviously 24 seven? Well, <laughs> any of them hearing this, it's fine. You know, one of the reasons I started my own business and why I love working from home is that it gives me slivers of my day when I'm alone. And I do not have those slivers in my day anymore. I, I love them. They have many needs. I feel like I've done 10 years worth of parenting in the last two months. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so you, you've been staying busy. Yeah. Let me ask you that. So what, 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 what is one thing that you miss that you haven't been able to do that? Uh, I know that you have your own business. We'll get into that. But I mean, I'm assuming you have meetings all over the place. So is there a place that you miss going to or is there a thing you miss doing that you haven't been able to do while you've been in the zoom world i like desperately miss going to a very good coffee shop and spending an hour with my laptop and yeah. something good and a latte and just yeah right i actually got a latte this morning at roastery in brookside 
uh, and there was like 10 people in there waiting via the uh, stand six feet away from each other thing. So, um, but it felt weird to like go back in there, you know, <laughs> felt really weird. And I drove by Axwa and there was, they were open, but I haven't been there in like two and a half months. So, I mean, I used to go there like three times a week for meetings, as you know. So, uh, but yeah, so it's great. So you, you actually started your career, I guess, you decided to come back to Kansas City, which uh, is an interesting decision. I assume that's because you're from this area and you had opportunities here and family here. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. For sure. So, so you came back, and as we both know, there's not as many opportunities as there are for people like us in Kansas City as there is in Washington D.C. But you started working uh, for the Health Forward Foundation, and you were there for ten years. Tell us about that experience, and, and what does the Health Forward Foundation do? Yeah. Um- so a lot of folks might remember um, 15 years ago-ish, there was a chain of nonprofit hospitals called Health Midwest that sold to HCA, which is a for-profit hospital company. And when those sales happen, the proceeds from the sale have to go somewhere because it's a nonprofit that's essentially becoming a for-profit. And the proceeds from that sale were essentially given to the Health Forward Foundation. So the foundation has about a $700 million endowment gives out about $25 million in grants every year for nonprofits that focus on safety net healthcare, mental health, and healthy communities, which is healthy eating and active living and um, community resilience. Um, so I was there for 10 years. I was their first sort of policy person. I think that was actually my title because I was so much the first person in that role that they didn't have a real title for it outside of just being the policy person. Um, and I loved it. I loved getting to spend all that time thinking about how the foundation, in addition to funding safety net health clinics or funding for folks who are uninsured to receive mental health access, how we could really change the like policies and systems that made all of that necessary in the first place. Um, and it was fun. I mean, we got to we we did a lot of grant making to nonprofits that advocate for policy change in Jeff City of Topeka. Funded and worked on a lot of ballot initiatives, um, developed our own policy priorities and made progress on them. It, it was a fantastic opportunity. I love so much about it. And I think after 10 years in the same role, which is, um, for, I, I'm technically a millennial, so for a millennial to come out and spend 10 years in one job was a pretty good stretch. Um, Very I, good. I mean, that's a long time to be in any job, 10 years. You know, and, and you, uh, you did that and you said you were the kind of the first person to do that and led the legislative and advocacy activities. Um, you were a registered lobbyist. I haven't done that yet. I need to add that to my portfolio at some point. Um, and you, you managed a lot of contract lobbyists, but also worked on advocating and uh, programming. Um, and, and you mentioned ballot initiatives and whatnot. I mean, it seems to me you have kind of a, a passion for uh, connecting nonprofits and foundations to kind of the, the public affairs and civic arena. Yep. Why is that? You know, I think a piece of it is that I really believe in my soul that we just cannot um, charitable our way out of some of the problems we're grappling with as a society. When I think about really pervasive and horrible issues like racial equity and poverty, I just don't think there's any amount of um, food delivery or safety net health care that we can provide that will fix those issues, that we need to get to some of those root causes. And to me, a lot of those root causes are um you know racism and sexism and poverty and things that we've um enshrined in our policies so if we can change the policies around these issues we can change we can change them in a way that's really like fundamental and long-lasting 
That's right. And so you did that, you said, for 10 years uh, until 2018. I can't believe that I've known you for this long now. So in 2018, what happened? You decided you wanted to start your own company based on your experience and get your own clients, and that was Platform Civic Strategies. What, what, what led to that? I mean, I know that you have a family. Your husband obviously has a full-time job and a good company or a good foundation. What, 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 uh, why? Why did you do that? Just because you were there for that long or what? I feel like I was there for a really long time and I um, wanted to start working on a different range of issues besides health. I realized that I couldn't really um, make a difference. I couldn't move within my role at the foundation and I felt like I had earned and learned a lot of skills that I could share with other, other organizations. Okay, so what what happened after that? You had no clients, and uh, you start well. Maybe you had a client or two. And it seems to me your your company. Uh, tell us about your company and, and and kind of how you how you did that and why you did that and how did you start? Um, so I was really lucky that I was in the middle of a pretty big project with the Health Forward Foundation when I decided to leave, which was the constitutional amendment to expand Medicaid in Missouri. It will be on the ballot this November. So I was able to keep that project coming out of my time at Health Forward Foundation. Well, that's um, positive. So that, that helps the decision to start the own company. Yeah, that was a really good way to transition out. I felt like I had an anchor client. And then from there, I've now had eight or nine different clients across 10 projects. Um, I do a lot of strategic planning for nonprofit organizations. I do a lot of work on ballot initiatives. I started doing some work helping nonprofits figure out if there are payer sources that they should be billing, so if you're a nonprofit, maybe you could be billing Medicaid or Medicare, but you have never really considered it. Um, it's been it's been really fun. It's been almost two years now. It's gone better than I could have expected. I can tell you this: I never had nine clients in two years of uh, of working of my own company. So congratulations! I'm looking at your website now, platformcivic.com. Um, you mostly work with nonprofits and philanthropic organizations, as you said, uh, designing policy advocacy efforts. That's where we kind of connect. And then on strategic planning for policy change and enhanced civic participation. A lot of these are uh, banking off of your nonprofit and healthcare experience. Yep. So, so you know, you try to leave the healthcare world or expand and you, you end up continuing just because of your knowledge and experience, right? Yep. Yep. I'm on the keyboard, so I've got a little extra. I'm, I'm starting to learn K, some more K-12 education stuff. That's right. Um, okay, so you did that. You guys, it seems like your company's in a really good space. If anyone wants to see your company, it's platformcivic.com, and then, uh, you know, and, and we'll share that. And, and, and you, do, you do a lot of trainings as well uh, or, you know, speaking engagements to these uh, organizations. Tell us about that because I know that's something that's kind of more unique about your, your, your background and your business. Yeah, the, there's a um, sense in the nonprofit world that nonprofit organizations are prohibited from advocating or lobbying on behalf of their clients. It's a sense that has been around for decades. Um, so I do training to help clarify what the rules are for what nonprofits can or can't do in terms of advocacy and lobbying. And then I also do training on how to actually communicate with policymakers. I, um, I know you're a former policymaker, Jason. I currently am in an elected role, and I think... Um, there is a bit of an art to how we approach our policymakers with the issues we care about. So I um, train them about how to 
not just identify problems, but also identify solutions and how to communicate what they want to say in a stage or less so it's easy for people to um, absorb that, that kind of thing. You mentioned one of the things you've been working on is a campaign. Um, is that is that something that is becoming more prevalent in your business? Big initiative, civic initiative campaigns, or are you more of doing more of the the day to day operations and connecting type stuff? Are you talking about like ballot initiatives? Yes. Yeah, I've done. So when I was at Health Forward, I ran point for them on the 2012 tobacco tax campaign, and then anytime we provided grants for ballot initiatives like combat or the health levy or the mental health levy, I was a grant officer on those. So I feel like in all the children's services fund ballot initiatives around the metro area. So I've definitely developed some expertise around ballot initiatives and I've been involved in the, it's called Healthcare for Missouri. That's a campaign to expand Medicaid. And um, I don't view myself as someone that can do day-to-day campaign work, but I really like doing some of the early incubation work of making sure we can put together a solid coalition and fundraise and get it off. Jessica Embry is our guest. She will be right back after the break. You're listening to Grill Nation. We're going to talk about her getting into politics herself and running for office. You're listening to Grill Nation. Anytime I need to see a face, I just close my eyes and I am taking two bits for your grist. Don't mind a magenta feeling. Take a shelter in the face of my spine. Trade like a chicken cherry cola. I don't need to try to explain. I just hold on tight and if it happens again, Can I get down so I can do it? I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. I thought to bag it up. Bag it up. I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. I thought to bag it up. Welcome back to the Grill Nation show. I'm your host, Jason Grill, on 980 AM, where you're listening via iTunes on podcasts or at our website, grillnationshow.com. I want to thank all of our great listeners. Uh, for their continued uh, support and joining us on those two or three avenues throughout the stay-at-home orders and the COVID-19 pandemic. And also, I'd like to thank our guest, Jessica Embray. She's the principal at Platform Civic Strategies, uh, platformcivic.com. She is a uh, also a, a political person now. So not only do you work in the strategic planning, public policy uh change, enhance civic participation, policy advocacy efforts uh, for a lot of different associations and nonprofits and foundations locally. You also decided to run for office and I remember you and I had coffee and I, I as a former elected official, always um, have a unique feeling about that when people come to me and I tell me they want to run for office and what do you think? And so you decided to do it and you won your first time out and you are in the uh, Shawnee Mission School uh, District Board. Uh, what was that like? What year was that? Was that 2018 or 19? I can't even remember. 2019. I've been on for three months. Okay, so 2019. Um, yeah, so what What was your campaign like? I know you have a family. Dragging them to the doors. I mean, I, you, just, you just wanted to be on the school board. <laughs> I did. I did want to be on the school board. It's been really interesting. I mean, I think a piece of it was with the background that I have in politics, it felt like something I could do. I did a year-long fellowship through the Kauffman Foundation focused on education policy. So again, it was like, if not me, then who? Um, sure. And the answer is, then who is maybe someone without three kids and maybe someone without all of the obligations I have. But um, I ran anyway. I'm glad I ran. It was really eye-opening to run. I learned a ton. Um, 
I just want to hunt. I mean, I think working in politics, I eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff, but to be on the doors and ask people what was on their mind related to education and have them answer, like, I don't know, it's not the thing I think about all the time. Um, you realize yeah. that the lesson told us very we are not the norm relative to how most people pay attention to politics and policy stuff. That's right. And so you got elected. And, um, what after that after you're elected you had a lot of support uh what what's the experience been like uh actually being in office and we have a dog behind you in the zoom that's kind of cool yeah. <laughs> um it's been four months it's been an eventful four months i don't know if this is how everyone in the elected office feels is that they just got the worst possible timing to come into office but i feel like it's been a much more um, busy four months than I was expecting. Not necessarily busy in terms of time, but starting with the school districts when I got onto the board was finishing up a really contentious year-long um, negotiation with the County Michigan Teachers Union, the NEA. That culminated within two weeks of me coming onto the board. And then, of course, we have coronavirus and have now shut down our schools for the remainder of the year. So I feel like... Um, I don't know. A little bit of me feels like a bad school board member because I get on and then schools are suddenly shut down for the entire. <laughs> so have you guys have you guys been, um, you know, through the COVID-19 crisis? I mean, you've been having school board meetings or how's that been operating via electronically or what, what's going on with that? Yeah, we've had school board meetings via Zoom and WebEx and um They've gone really well. We're still meeting. We're still doing our policy committee meetings. Uh, it's not all coronavirus related. I think the school board, we're trying to really stay focused on big picture and that this is something we need to be addressing. But students will start again in the fall, hopefully, and we'll be prepared for them then too and keeping, keeping the trains moving. What, uh, what is one thing you think that you've learned about yourself or were you surprised about um, being elected? Is there something that you didn't expect or that surprised you now that you're in office? Um, you know, I think, and, and again, I came in at a really rough time, but I was really amazed by the tenor of some of the emails I got from patrons of our district that I had never had any communication with and that sent me just some like terrible things. I got mm -hmm. one that said, um, well, once you're in office, you know, I mean, anyone can say or do anything about you. So, no matter if they know you're not so you just you just got to take it right you just gotta you gotta let it roll with the punches right that's kind of the, the nature of the beast even if you if you voted perfect for everyone in your district at all times it, there still be an issue um just because everyone's different right yep i think that's what i learned and i i felt i could feel my calluses thickening up i could feel myself getting um thicker skinned which i think is probably going to serve me well in politics. Yeah, well, wait till you if you if you go up the ladder here, if you decide that you want to move on to the more uh, the more partisan um, elections, Jessica, and you have mailers coming in every day against you that are uh, that aren't the nicest, right? <laughs> I can handle that. My my uh, family would say that I couldn't handle that. <laughs> so you guys, so you guys are keeping things moving. I know the Shawnee Mission School District uh, is one of the better ones in the local area. Do you? interface at all with any of the other school districts around town? I mean, how does that work? I mean, is, is there any kind of an association or do you, do you meet these people that are in the same positions that you have? And I don't know, the Park Hill school district or the Kansas City, Missouri school district or the whatever Liberty school district. 
No, I think the superintendents get together. There's like a group called Cooperating School Districts of Greater Kansas City, and the superintendents get together through that group. But school board members, not so much. It seems much more um, state line related. So we get together with the Kansas Association of School Boards, and I know there's a similar group in Missouri. Um, mm -hmm. There's not like a regional school board association. What uh, what is one thing that you thought would be that actually was better than you thought it would be about running for office or about being an elected official? We've, we've been through the one thing you didn't expect, which was the, the the negatives or the people just thinking they can attack you, whatever you do. But what it, what is one thing that actually was better than you thought it would be, whether that's on the campaign side or on the uh, holding the office side? Um, I and remember, I, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt because you have been in a unique situation here. Oh, yeah. It's been a unique. It has been unique, right? I mean, I keep telling myself that. It's actually unique. This isn't normal. I, I think what's been the best is that, like, for every one email I've gotten that's just been mean and nasty and cut me to the core, I've probably gotten two or three from people who are really respectful and thoughtful and sharing their opinions and appreciative of the work that unpaid volunteer school board members are doing. Even though I, in my, you know, the, the way the human brain works, those negative emails loom large. If I really stop and think about it, for every negative email I've gotten, I've gotten two or three that are either um, respectfully disagreeing or just really kind, reaching out as a human, just thanking for the service. And um, I actually put all of those in one piece of paper and printed them out, and I keep them by my laptop for days when I really need them. That's great. And you guys represent 28,000 kids. There's that many kids that go to school in your district? Yeah, about 27,000. <clears> so if we're equating that to a few to a state rep district which when i was in office i think we were at like thirty-five thousand or something so right around the same area as the state rep would have essentially as far as your constituency probably i mean it's probably a smaller voting district but yeah i think six thousand five thousand people cast votes in my race yeah um well that's good to hear i'm glad that uh i'm glad that all is going well amidst all of these different things what, what do you think of education right now? I mean, I'm assuming that you, uh, having all the experience you do and, and, and now being elected, like, it seems to me that it needs to continue to become more innovative. But that's just my two cents. It just seems, at least on the collegiate level, that it's very um, standardized. Maybe more so in high school, but I don't know. I just feel like with the world these days and with, you know, with all the things you read about, there seems to me that there has to be some more um, innovative, uh, elective, entrepreneurial type strategies around education. I think you're starting to see that more and more at the high school level, for sure. I mean, Sunny Anderson School District, we have like a whole college and career center where kids can do like 3D design and animation and culinary arts and STEM and it's really impressive what kids can access through that. Um, I think I'm really just interested to see what COVID-19 does to how we think about K-12 education. I think it's really going to accelerate the pace of change around some things. And what's really striking to me from hearing from other parents is just how, how do we differentiate education for different kinds of kids? Because I've heard from many parents in the last couple months who their kids need the grade and they need the accountability and they need feedback from teachers. And then I've heard from just as many parents who say, you know, my kid's totally stressed out and anxious about all of this. We don't need any more stress or anxiety on our family right now. We don't need grades. We don't need, you know, 
we don't need all this added accountability. So I think figuring out how education can continue moving kids forward, but also differentiate amongst the different kinds of kids we're working with is going to be the biggest trick. I know you understand that early education is important too. And, and we talked a lot about the Kansas City, Missouri initiative that failed, God, was that a year ago? I think a year ago, almost. Um, we got to do that in Kansas City as well, I think. I mean, it, as far as I, I can see, that's a huge issue right now. As soon as we're out of this pandemic is trying to find a way to fund uh, early education. Without a tax, tax hike again. <laughs> well, I think the pandemic makes it even more important. I mean. All of these conversations about reopening the economy when we don't have a stable early learning and childcare system for families is just, just unrealistic. How old are your kids? I know you have a big family. Are your kids like in school yet or? I have a fourth grader, a first grader, and then a three-year-old. Okay. So we saw your three-year-old during the break then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're, they're already in school age and, and uh, you're charting a pathway for them, I guess you would say, via your school district uh, service. Sure. <laughs> Jessica Embray is with us, principal of Platform Civic Strategies. We'll be back with one final segment here on the Grill Nation Show. Thanks for joining us today on 988. segment today on the grill nation show i'm your host jason grill i appreciate you listening for the show today on 980 a.m or on itunes via podcast or at grillnationshow.com we are again taping via uh home office and zoom uh both of us my guest and i and we appreciate and hope that the sound quality has been uh good enough we're trying to bring you the show and it's been a lot of fun today to catch up with jessica embry who's the principal at platform Civic Strategies. Her website is platformcivic.com. It's a, a full-scale uh, uh, company that works on planning, strategic planning pol uh, for policy change, enhanced civic participation, policy advocacy efforts, uh, a lot of work with nonprofit and philanthropic organizations. Um, Jessica has over 20 years of experience in these areas, and uh, we unfortunately haven't had any projects together yet, but we'll have one at some point. <laughs> Jessica, um, I saw you were in the New York Times at one point uh, recently. How did that happen? You're famous now. I have no idea how it happened. I got the weirdest phone call, and it was the reporter saying that they are profiling millennial women in politics, and they've chosen to focus on the age 37, which is how old I was at the time. Um, and they asked me, proceeded to ask me like a series of 30 minutes of just bizarre questions, like ping-ponging around questions about like, what do I think about when I get dressed in the morning? And why do I get, why am I in politics? And what do people say when I knock on the door? It was crazy. And then when the article finally came out, it turned out to be an article about um, Pete Buttigieg was the exact same age, the exact same agency. So it was about what if Pete Buttigieg was a woman, where would his political career be going? Um, 
And that was interesting because I remember a bunch of friends emailed it to me and they're like, this is a weird article. And then you were in it. And uh, I was like, holy crap, I know that person. It's online if you want to read it. It's pretty interesting. But that's funny. They were asking you those questions. It's like you're going on like a reality show that you thought was going to be The Bachelor, but it ends up being like The Survivor. They just liked you because you were a good uh, candidate, I guess you would say. So that's funny. So you answered the phone and you're like from a random number and you're probably like, who the heck is this? It's the New York Times reporter. Yeah. I was like, how did you find me? What is, can you tell me what questions How did you know I was 37 years old? I mean, that's just crazy. I know. They wouldn't tell me how. So the article is, would a 37-year-old woman be where Pete Buttigieg's conversations with 37-year-old women in politi- politics might offer some answers? And they have, I don't know, six or seven people in here. And, you know, that's going to be an article that'll live forever. So one day you can say you were in the New York Times. Pretty cool, huh? Um. <laughs> Um, what's your advice for people that want to start their business? I know that you obviously came from a very strong economic or excuse me, academic background, and you obviously worked at a big foundation for a while and started and found your niche there and then decided to start your own company. Uh, do you have any advice? I know that you, you probably learned a lot along the way. It's been a few years now for those that want to take the plunge and start their own business. Obviously this could be a uh, much more important time for that based on all of the different things happening in the economy with entrepreneurs and startups and new businesses that will have to be formed to make a living. What, what's your advice for those that want to start a, a company or a business? I would say, Mike, the, the things I've learned, one is you, you have to know what you're going to provide. And I think I really tossed concerned, especially in my first six months of starting platform, about whether I should be broad and, you know, market the whole slew of things I felt comfortable providing or whether I should be much more narrow. And I've chosen to be narrow. I obviously have a pretty specific niche of public affairs for nonprofit organizations. And um, I've doubted that decision at various points, but ultimately I think it has paid off for me because I know um, I know it's something I can provide. I feel really confident in my ability to provide those services. But I also know from a marketing standpoint that if anyone is ever looking for someone to do public affairs for a nonprofit, I'm going to hopefully be the first person that they think of. Whereas if I think if I think if I was doing a whole bunch of different services, I wouldn't it wouldn't be as obvious when people should reach out to me in particular. So I that's so Jessica's the- explaining is me right now, um, and that I offer too many services. She's throwing this in my face. No, I'm kidding. I, um, but you're right. I mean, that's something where you have the experience, you have the connections, you have the know-how, um, but you. Either the people might think they don't really know how to reach out to you, you might be too busy. Um, if you don't like really specialize and really kind of put out there what's that one or two big things that you can offer. And to me, it seems like you've been successful in that based on your the companies you work with and the uh, or excuse me, the, the nonprofits you work with um, and the amount that you've had that ability to work with. And you know, as you know, it's a it's a it's a you gotta continue to fill that funnel. It's a project based world unless you can get some good retainers, right? <laughs> but those are hard to get. Jessica, what is one thing that you kind of uh, miss the most right now and that you've been in uh, stay at home with your family? Is there one thing? I know you mentioned the coffee shops and the working out of the house, but is that is that the one thing you miss or what is it? You know, I think a big, uh, just seeing my family, like my mom lives in Wichita, so I'm seeing other people online doing these like driveway get togethers with their family members and that has not been an option for us. So 
my mom's coming on Friday, and once I see her in person, I'm going to feel like we're um, in a much better place. So, and my brother, my brother and his wife both live here in town, but my sister-in-law is an ICU respiratory therapist. So she has been exposed to coronavirus multiple times, and we have been keeping our distance from them because of that. Yeah, so that'll be cool that you get to see them. What, what's been your go-to uh, food over the stay-at-home order? What, what have you eaten the most of that you probably wouldn't eat normally? Well, you know that like disgusting cheese in a can by the salsa at the grocery store, the Tostitos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheese whiz. No, no, no. Cheese salsa, cheese, uh, chip and salsa. Queso. We're going through that like crazy in our family. <laughs> you know, and mine would be frozen pizzas. I've actually started with frozen pizzas, which I never ate. And now I've transgressed into the, um, to the, to this website where you can literally order frozen pizzas from like the best pizza places in the United States fresh and they like airtight them and then they ship them to you. They're not cheap. So I've gotten a couple sent to me. I've tried Detroit style uh, from the number one pizza place there. Uh, I've gotten Brooklyn pizza on its way. Uh, this 9.9 rated pizza place in Brooklyn. I've got, uh, I did the Chicago one. So I've been really just getting fat on uh, pizza. Gourmet frozen pizza. Well, I started with the Jacks of the world and the, um, um, all the ones you would find at Prost Chopper. Now I'm trying to try the, the good kinds. What's been your favorite thing to do so far since you've been at home besides work? Is there anything that you really learned about yourself that you really have appreciated? Oh, I, I'm, I'm learning, you know, and I think everyone's learning some things about themselves, but I, I, I have to do something first thing every morning that makes me feel like I'm taking care of myself, whether it's a long walk, I walk to a coffee shop close to here and get coffee, or I, uh, it sounds bad that this is self-care. Or I take a shower. I either take a long shower or go for a walk. And then I, well, I appreciate you getting dressed up for the show today. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've also been putting on pants and getting dressed up and showering. As uh, minus the shaving the last five weeks, but I've been, uh, I've been trying to be as normal as possible as well. Um, Jess Scambry, I uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Your website, your company's platform, Civic Strategies. I couldn't. Um, recommend Jessica more for what she does. She's very thoughtful and very successful uh, working with nonprofits and foundations. She's on Twitter. You can search for there. Companies on Twitter. I just gave it a follow. I don't know how I didn't follow it, but I'm following it now. Uh, she's also on the Shawnee Mission School District School Board. Send her a bunch of emails and tell her how good she's doing. Uh, but anyways, I appreciate you coming on the show today, uh, Jessica. And uh, keep in touch and, and let me know or let us know if we can ever help you in any way. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And you've been listening to The Grill Nation Show. Thanks for joining us today on 980 AM and on iTunes via podcast. We'll see you again next week. Take care. If I can reach the